Welcome to the Bagwell Center podcast. This podcast features lectures and symposia hosted by the Bagwell Center for the Study of Markets and Economic Opportunity at Kennesaw State University. The Bagwell Center's mission is to provide a platform for an interdisciplinary study of the importance of markets and economic institutions in regard to resource allocation, entrepreneurial activity, economic prosperity, and improved human welfare. Through extracurricular outreach activities such as guest lectures, film screenings, workshops, fellowships, and reading groups, the Bagwell Center places an emphasis on educating students about the foundations of market institutions and examining the related impact of government policy in a mixed economy. For more information about the Bagwell Center and its programs, please visit coles.kennesaw.edu slash econop. Thank you so much for that warm um, introduction. This has been a really interesting symposium so far, so I hope you guys stay for the Q&A. I think it'll be great. So um, I'm gonna talk to you today about the uh, relationship between mortality and the coverage expansions in the Affordable Care Act. But before I kind of jump right into the empirical evidence, I wanna give you some context about the relationship between income and mortality in the United States, because a lot of these um, coverage expansions were targeting towards low-income individuals who didn't already have health insurance and who had trouble affording medical care. So in the US, um, if you're in a low-income household and you're be between the ages of 55 and 64, which is the age group I'm gonna look at in my study, um, you are four times more likely to die in a given year than someone in the same age group in a higher-income household. You're more than 780% more likely to die of diabetes in a given year. You're more than 550% more likely to die of cardiovascular disease in a given year. More than 800% more likely to die of respiratory illness in a given year relative to someone with the same age but in the higher income household. And, and these are all diseases that we believe to be at least somewhat amenable to drug therapy or medical intervention. So these are not diseases where we are sort of helpless to prevent them from occurring and from causing mortality. Um, of course, there is a relationship between income and health in every country in, on the planet for every time period for which data exists, every county in the US, this is an incredibly robust relationship. But when we do cross-country comparisons, we do see that the correlation between income and health is stronger in the US. And so I think in part, this makes the question of whether these coverage expansions can re reduce this very excessively high mortality we observe among the poor to be particularly important. Right. So I'm uh, fortunate enough to be the, the fourth speaker, and so a lot of this background information has already been covered. But I do want to just start with, um, this is basically a simpler version of what Chuck was just talking about, looking at the uh, non-elderly, um, percent of the non-elderly population, adult population who are uninsured. And um, as Chuck said, you know, it starts prior to the ACA, it's about uh, 20, 22%, something like that, falls to about 12% after the Affordable Care Act. So it doesn't fall to zero. Lots of people are still uninsured, but uh, roughly about a 10 percentage point change um, in coverage. And the aspects of the law that went into place in 2014, which drove these coverage expansions, are, are the two programs that I'm going to talk about when I'm talking about mortality. So the first is the eligibility expansion of the Medicaid program. Traditionally, Medicaid, or prior to the ACA, Medicaid had been a health insurance program for poor people that fit into certain categories. You couldn't just get health insurance if you were poor and sick. You had to be poor and a pregnant woman. You had to be poor and blind or disabled. You had to be poor and a child. Right? So the, um, 
the goal of the ACA, uh, ACA Medicaid provision was to say if you are in a poor household, you can sign up for this health insurance coverage. Of course, as we learned, not all states adopted the Medicaid coverage, and so um, in some states you still do have to meet this categorical eligibility to get Medicaid coverage. And then the second uh, sort of big coverage expanding policy that occurred in 2014 were these tax credits to help families that are in sort of a lower middle class uh, income range between 100 and 400 percent of the federal poverty level purchase private insurance on the market. So these are the two big um, policies that go into place in 2014 and expand health insurance coverage. So the first one I'm going to talk about is the Medicaid expansion. So as we, uh, we heard in the last presentation, um, because of a 2012 Supreme Court decision, not all states expanded Medicaid. So uh, Chief Justice Roberts said um, threatening to take away states' Medicaid funding, funding if they don't expand was like holding a gun to their head. It was unconstitutionally coercive. And so states had the option to expand Medicaid coverage or to keep with their own program. And so you can see on this map, um, these yellow states are the ones that expanded and the white states are the ones that declined to expand. So from a statistical perspective, we're going to take advantage of the fact that some of these states expanded and some of them, them did not to think about using the non-expansion states as a control group. So coverage um, improved in all states, including in the non-expansion states. That's what this graph shows from uh, 2016 New England Journal of Medicine paper that I have with Laura Wary. Um, but the decrease in the percent of low-income adults who remained uninsured was larger in the expansion states, and the increase in Medicaid enrollment was larger also in the, in the, non, in the expansion states than in the non-expansion states. So we're going to look at changes in uh, mortality that occurred in the expansion states and the non-expansion states, kind of taking advantage of this difference in differences approach, which I think Greg did a really great job of describing um, uh, in the second to last presentation. Right. So um, we're taking advantage of this sort of uh, incomplete expansion of Medicaid eligibility in a difference in differences design where we're going to compare the changes in the mortality rate across um, expansion and not expansion states before and after the Affordable Care Act. So even though expansion states and non-expansion states might be at different levels, they could still be in, on the same trajectory, which would make them sort of a reasonable control group to look at. So if you remember this figure, this is uh, showing the percent of low-income adults who enroll in Medicaid, what you can see is that the trends sort of before 2014 they're on very similar trends. Even though they're on different levels, they're sort of trending similarly. And then beginning in 2014, these trends diverge. Right? And there's sort of a different trend in the expansion states. There's a relative increase in the expansion states relative to the non-expansion states. So Greg, here's my attempts to explain difference and differences very, very simply. But um, sort of the idea of what we're going to do here is we're going to say, look, they were on similar trends before. Let's assume they would have continued on similar trends if the um, expansion hadn't happened in those states. And then we're going to say, look, if they had continued, the expansion states would sort of be up probably, I, I drew this myself, it's probably not exactly perfect, but roughly parallel to the non-expansion states. This is what we're going to say would have happened if they didn't expand. And so then any difference we can attribute to um, the Affordable Care Act. Uh, so um, in order to do this study, and I. If I haven't said it already, this is joint work with Sean Altacruzer, who's at the National Institutes of Health, uh, Norm Johnson at the Census, and Laura Wary at UCLA. Um, we're going to take advantage of some large-scale linkages between large federal survey data, called the American Community Survey, 
and longitudinal information on mortality from the Social Security um, Administration's records. So this is great data to look at this because it's a very large data set and um, you really need to have, a, so because death is a relatively rare outcome, you need to have a really large data set in order to sort of detect and have enough statistical power to measure the impact on mortality. So we're going to use the ACS. We're going to focus on individuals age 55 to 64 who we know are going to be affected by the Medicaid expansions because they're in low income or disadvantaged households. They're not otherwise eligible for Medicaid and they're citizens. Um, a large percent, as I'm about to show you, of this group gained Medicaid eligibility. And then we follow this group over time for four years after the expansions occurred to see what happens to their mortality rates. Um, so first I'll show you essentially that we've done a pretty good job in finding a group that really experienced a large increase in Medicaid eligibility as the result of the Affordable Care Act. So the way you should think about these graphs is these are showing you how the trends diverged before the expansion occurred. And you can see that the trends were very similar. That's what it means that it's close to zero. So before the expansion occurred, there weren't that many sort of state-specific Medicaid eligibility changes affecting the expansion versus non-expansion. But then when the expansion happens, we see that roughly half of the sample gain Medicaid eligibility um, as a result. Okay. We can look at who signs up. Uh, there's a couple um, reporting issues that are present here, which I won't get into. But again, we see a similar pattern where the trends are just very, very similar across the expansion and non-expansion states before the Affordable Care Act. And then we see a relative increase in signups um, after the Affordable Care Act. So the takeaway from those two graphs is that our um, analysis in the uh, American Community Survey was able to kind of identify the group of people we were looking for, the group of people that would likely gain Medicaid eligibility because of the law. Um, so there was a meaningful impact in coverage of this group. So then this is our sort of main result in terms of mortality. This is the exact same type of graph. And what you can see is that the differences in the trends prior to the ACA expansion were relatively small and not statistically significant. And then we see a relative decrease in the mortality rate beginning the very first year of the expansion and po possibly growing larger over time, although we have fairly large um, confidence intervals. So this is a reduction in the probability of death of about 0.09 percentage points in the first year, and that grows to almost um, two-tenths of a percentage point by the end of year four. This is about, um, a, about a 9% reduction in mortality for this sort of most impacted group. So, uh, you know, is this big or small? If you see a 0.09 percentage point, that might seem like a very small number. We can think about this in terms of how many people are um, in these states that meet this sample uh, eligibility criteria. Um, since we, there's about 3.7 million people in the expansion states, these numbers imply that over the four-year period uh, that we study, um, about 19,200 deaths were averted because of the expansions. Um, since there are about 3 million people uh, that meet our sample criteria in the non-expansion states, that implies there were about 15,600 excessive deaths from not expanding Medicaid um, that would have been averted if the state had opted to expand or if expansion was universal as originally intended by the law. So um, I'll save you the trouble of going to the American Community Survey and calculating the population that meets the sample criteria. In Georgia, um, for Georgia, since it's a non-expansion state, that would imply about 336 um, additional deaths per year in this 55 to 64 year old age group. Um, so that's uh, what we're finding for um, the uh, Medicaid expansions. Um, 
there's also, I mentioned, these expansions of private coverage through the health insurance exchanges. And uh, I think Chuck mentioned this in his talk that that's actually a little bit more tricky to try to estimate the effect of because everyone, uh, you know, the exchanges rolled out everywhere. So there's no kind of natural control group. Um, so there isn't sort of an analogous natural experiment we can take advantage of, but I do want to tell you about a very interesting actual experiment, a randomized controlled trial that was done by the IRS that I think uh, uh, shed some light on this question. Um, so uh, these authors, um, one of whom, Itai Lori, is at the Office of Tax Analysis, did an experiment teaming up with the IRS, and it was an experiment with 3.9 million people in it, so it was a pretty incredible effort. And what they did is they identified people who were uninsured and who were, pay who were paying the tax penalty and who could be eligible for subsidies. And among that group, they randomly assigned some of them to get a letter saying, hey, you're paying this tax penalty, you could sign up for, the, um, for subsidized health insurance through the exchange, here's the information how to do it, and we would encourage you to sign up. So it was kind of an encouragement design. They randomly selected one group to get this encouragement, and the other group they just sort of let them go about their merry way. Right? Um, so those who got the letters were uh, significantly more likely to sign up for insurance and um, they were on insurance for longer, for a longer period during the year and they also had significantly lower mortality. So I think that this is one way that we can learn about the mortality benefit of the ACA exchange coverage um, since many of these people signed up through the exchange. Now some of them did get Medicaid as well but it was more exchange representative than the last study. Um, so these authors looked at age 45 to 64 who were uninsured. And this is, a, I realize it's a little bit of a small figure, but what you can see is the, um, the black line are the people that got the letters, the dotted line are the people that didn't get the letters, and the, um, it's showing their cumulative mortality rate. And what you can see is that before the letters go out, that's this kind of dotted line, they're basically the same. But then over the course of the next uh, not quite two years, they diverge. Right? And they, they diverge by about 0.063 percentage points, which might sound really small, but you have to bear in mind that most of the people threw those letters away. Right? And so if we think about what was the effect on the people who opened the letters and actually signed up, that actually implies a very large effect. In fact, when I read this, I literally said, wow, out loud, six months of health insurance in this group reduced mortality by one percentage point, which is huge. Um, there's 5.5 million people in the sample age group, the 45 to 64 year, year old age group who signed up for the exchanges. So this implies that there are about um, 55,000 lives per year that are saved because of exchange coverage um, if we assume they're only signing up for six months. So this is a very, I think, very dramatic um, change in mortality. <clears throat> okay, so let me give you the quick takeaway from this. Basically, um, among sort of older adults who gained the subsidized coverage, there was a relatively large reduction in mortality overall. Um, easily exceeding 50,000 people per year under pretty conservative assumptions. I think if you were wanted to push it and, and make the assumptions a little bit more favorable to finding a big effect, could definitely be um, 100,000 people per year just because of the randomized controlled trial data alone. And I should say also the randomized controlled trial, that's considered the gold standard of evidence in our, um, in our profession. This, um, it's something where there's true randomization, so it's a very strong standard of evidence to me. Usually at this point in the talk, if I'm giving this talk to MBA students, they raise their hand and they say, Professor Miller, this is totally obvious. Everyone knows that health insurance coverage leads you to use more care. Medical care is effective, right? They do clinical trials, so we should expect this. 
And I would say, yes, I agree with you. We should expect this. There's a lot of evidence that um, when you gain coverage, you use life, more life-saving care, you have earlier cancer detection, you have more cancer screenings, you use more prescription drugs that we know from clinical trials are effective, um, and it should be obvious. But I think it's really important to do these kind of studies because unless you can actually show it, I think especially the popular press can, uh, you know, unless they have hard evidence, I think people are willing to make um, arguments in the other direction. I think uh, these are just a couple ones that I, thought were uh, kind of, you know, from popular press pieces like Ford or the Atlantic, USA Today, about, um, oh, insurance isn't, isn't going to save lives, reality check, Obamacare is not going to save lives. I think now um, we can sort of put this, uh, this line of discussion to rest since we have, I think, really good evidence that, in fact, it does. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Bagwell Center podcast. For more content like this, please be sure to subscribe. And for more information about the Bagwell Center and its programs, please visit us online at coles.kennesaw.edu econop.